0: This morning's scripture reading will be from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. That's 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. That's on page 1078 in your pew Bible. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I, I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Good to see everyone this morning. What a wonderful day that it is here at the Mount Jewett Church of Christ. The announcement this morning that you heard is the result of a great deal of thought and discussion in the eldership and I'm glad that we're gonna appoint three good qualified men to help serve this congregation. I remember when I started attending here, I guess going on 19 years ago, we only had five elders and we've seen that grow to 11 and over the past four years, very nearly the past four years, for me, it's been a pleasure to work and get to know those men in a great deal uh, more intimate manner uh, than I did simply even as a deacon or as a member of this congregation. And I'm thankful for this opportunity to talk about elders this morning. So thankful this week for a wonderful Teen VBS. A lot of work went into that, and they had a wonderful time, Uh, and especially with Will Myers being baptized Thursday, what a wonderful thing it was to see all the youth up here on this stage, crowded up on this stage to encourage Will and his decision, Uh, and that his parents were able to be here for that, and his dad, Greg, be able to baptize him, and just how awesome that is for anyone who sees their child enter into the body of Christ. What a wonderful thing thing that is. I have been asked by Philip to remind you that tonight is our back to school service. Philip will be back here tonight uh, and preaching at that service, but he has asked that if you take one of the cards in the pew, it can be a visitor's card or a member's card, and write on it, every one of you that has a child, a grandchild, if you are on the staff or administration of a school, write the name of that school down, where your children attend, where you work, where your grandchildren attend. And every one of those schools will be prayed for by name tonight for, to have a wonderful and blessed school year. So please write that on the back of one of those sheets. You can write it on the name tag uh, if you want to. And pass those into your aisle. Josh will ask you to do that uh, at the conclusion of service night. And those young soldiers that pick those up, please pick those up and put them where you put the visitor's card as well so we can be sure uh, and pray for that. Don't forget, if you do want to come to the back to school breakfast in the morning, there's gonna be a breakfast for students back to school. I believe they had a sign up uh, out here uh, for that in the morning. I think it's six o'clock, I believe it starts. And I just made a decision a few minutes ago to wave off the simulcast service for tonight. So if you're in the Cornerstone Timers and Faith Builders class because I know that you will wanna be over here and see the children and be prayed over at the end of service, uh, and it may be your grandchildren, your children be here. Let's just all gather here uh, in the auditorium and not miss that as the elders will come up and pray uh, for those young people at service. So be sure and be here tonight. very excited to hear what Philip has to say. Typically, today is Bible Class Emphasis Day and in a great way it still is because we're talking about shepherds in our congregation and the model that we have adopted to make every effort that our elders know the flock is to have elders in our Bible classes. And as James aptly put this morning, we are deficient in that. And when we check and see if our model may be working, if we're not following our model, we can't do an accurate test to see if it is working. And also with the growth of this congregation, the addition of elders... Is needed. And typically, I would be speaking about something else other than this. But when this decision was made, I volunteered because I thought David was going to be out of town this morning. I volunteered to go, Oh, I'll do the service about elders because I was going to preach that morning anyway. And then I realized David was going to be in town. But it made my subject matter easier to choose uh, this morning and what we're doing. And we think about the examples to the flock. I wanted to talk briefly this morning about the qualifications that we see in 1 Timothy and in Titus, but I want to spend a little bit of time on what we expect elders to be here at the Mount Juliet congregation. Because sort of like deacons, we don't have a whole lot of details about exactly what elders did in the congregations of the ancient world. Now, I've heard a lot of people think about what they did, but we have to sometimes, the eldership in a congregation here and in many churches of Christ has decided what the role of deacons may be and also how expansive the role of elders may be. Just what does it mean to shepherd this flock? And we wanna talk about some of that this morning. The qualifications are written in plain English uh, in your Bible and we'll cover them very quickly. But as you think about men who may be qualified to fill this position, I want you to be thinking about are they qualified to fill the expectation of elders at the Mount Juliet congregation? Would I want to be in the Bible class that they are shepherding? Are they able to do that? Do they have the compassion? Uh, Do they have the patience? Do they have the ability to reach out? Do they have the skills and the leadership qualities that'll be needed to do what elders are assigned to do and expected of here at this congregation? That's why I chose this passage about being examples to the flock because that's what Peter turns around and says to them. And we'll come back to that passage uh, at the conclusion of this service. The idea of elders is an ancient tradition, a very, very ancient tradition. In our world today, we don't think about a group of older men being the judges and the people that teach and the people that people come to and use their wisdom and try to ask them questions and get their guidance for things. But to Peter and to the church of the ancient world, the idea of elders being over a congregation, a group of people would have been very, very normal even expected in Jesus' time. We can look through the entire Bible and see from Exodus all the way through the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. In the Bible, it is an ancient custom for there to be elders over clans or tribes of God's people. And even outside of the Bible in other societies it have been very normal For that to take place when Moses was told to go to the people of Israel and leave the mountain and from the burning bush and go and tell the people that I'm here from God and I'm here to lead you out of captivity in Egypt he went to the elders of Israel he appoints elders as overseers of the group he goes to the elders whenever there's discussion. The elders are set to be judges over the law. Even in the time of the kings, we see that the elders of Israel are still active and used. Now, some of the evil kings would kind of shove them to the side, maybe when they didn't like what they had to say. In the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, we see it is with the elders that are consulted about the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And then in Jesus' time, the Sanhedrin council was a council of elders between 70 and 71 elders of Israel that were a part of that council as well as the priesthood. And we see a lot of times when Jesus is meeting with people, he meets with the chief priests, the scribes and the elders. So the idea of having older and wiser and learned men to be leaders, was an ancient tradition that would have been very easy to understand from those in the ancient world. And so for me, I began to try to understand what that expectation was to go in line with the qualifications that are in the Bible. You know, and it's not unique to the people that we have. I'm sorry to keep looking over my shoulder, the screen back here doesn't work. But it's not a unique thing to people even today and even in more modern world, Native Americans, tribes in Africa, in New Guinea, even in, the ancient, even in the current Middle East, the idea of having older and wiser men as a council, a group of people to go and talk to, is not unique just to the Bible. But it's kind of unique to us as Americans because we're not accustomed to that. But you think about even in our own government, our own constitution requires that the President of the United States be 35 years or older. It's obviously even the founding fathers of this country saw fit that a young and inexperienced person who had not yet gone through a lot of life's experiences was not qualified to lead this country. We see certain ages required of senators and congressmen in that way. I know most of you are like 35s, not really very old. It's not very old to me anymore either because I passed that up a little while ago. But when your life expectancy was 60 years, 35 was a little bit older in doing that. I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy. As we think about what do we picture when we look at eldership? I think all too often our sole picture of that is this board of directors that is called to make business decisions here in the church, Uh, that they're supposed to put out every fire and they're supposed to deal with every problem and they're supposed to make every command decision that has to deal with money or with staff or with uh, a facility. And all of a sudden, they become just like our CEOs or our board of directors at work. And I think that although there are a great many administrative tasks that the elders of the American church have to deal with, just like they had to deal with in the ancient world, Even some of the smallest of things, I think about when Boaz had to go redeem Ruth, he took and they did that deal in front of the elders of the city. They have to make administrative and and decisions about people that are underneath them. But sometimes I think it takes away from what the Bible has to say about the importance of elders and what their first and foremost job is in a congregation of people. So we may picture An older group of folks, I I tried to find a picture of older elders in the church. It didn't look like a bunch of gunmen hanging around. Most of these old pictures look like Wild West dudes with guns gonna pull them out anytime. But maybe a group of older guys like that. Maybe uh, in Africa, those guys are elders over a tribe in Africa, not over the church, but they are a group of elders. Or do we picture a boardroom type scene with elders to be in there? The Lord does give us some good direction on what kind of man needs to be, kind of a man, a man needs to be in order to be an elder. And we want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter three. It's on page 1053 in your pew Bible. I'll be reading from the ESV translation, so if you're reading from something different, it may be a little bit slightly different, the words that'll be up on the board, but 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, I often hear somebody say, well, Timothy and Titus were assigned to appoint elders. Well, that is not what 1 Timothy 3 says. 1 Timothy is, Timothy is not told to appoint elders. He is just simply told what elders should be. Most scholars think Timothy was in Ephesus when this was written to him and we know from Acts that there were elders established in Ephesus on Paul's second and third missionary journeys. Acts 14 talks about elders being appointed in every congregation. So perhaps not only was it to give Timothy the qualifications of elders that might be appointed, but also a check against elders who were already in place because the overall motif of 1 Timothy is, beware of false teachers, beware of those who are gonna take away from the word that we gave to you and cause division and trouble in the church. Well, you can't have a strong eldership when that happened, but if you have a weak eldership, that certainly will happen. We also see over in Titus chapter one, verses five through nine, and I'm gonna read both of those passages to you in a second. We'll go back and review them real quick. Uh, and that's only a few pages over in your Bible on page 1058, if you're using the pew Bible. We'll see that Titus was commanded on the newly planted churches in Crete to go and to appoint elders. And here are some qualifications that they have in doing that. So we can look at that and we can kind of see some physical and spiritual traits that we'll go through. But I wanna read them before we get into those traits. In 1 Timothy chapter three, again, that's on page 1053, reading one through seven, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For he does not know how to manage his own household. How will he care for God's church? He must not treat, not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall in disgrace into a snare of the devil. Looking over at Titus chapter one, just a few pages over, we see Titus is given a, a serious task and it's exactly why Paul says he left him there in Crete in Titus one in verse five, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So there was not order in the congregation of the church on this island world of Crete. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination for an overseer is God's steward and he must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright and holy and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also, and this is the mission that follows, to rebuke those who contradict it. And if you continue continue reading in Titus chapter one, you'll see, because there are empty talkers coming and false teachers, there is a purpose to the elders being upon it. So we look at these passages and we come up with some physical traits uh, that we can see. And these physical traits fit into the ancient concept of elders in the first place. Elders are not designed to be younger people. And I know that's a relative word in a lot of things, but they are to be older. They are clearly to be male. They are to be a man of one woman. Now, there are a lot of misteachings on that subject. I hear people say, well, if a man's been married before and his wife died and now he's remarried, he can't be an elder, that's not what this passage says. The literal Greek is one woman man. Polygamy was almost non-existent in the Greco-Roman world, so what does that mean? Well, what sin do we see attacked in the Bible and warned against over and over again a sin that was prolific in this time, and that is adultery, sex outside of marriage. A one woman man. I have one wife, my wife, and I am faithful to her in doing that. He must be a parent of faithful children. That broke my heart. My beloved ESV does a poor job of translating this word, and I had to go to the New King James to get it, but the King James does a much better way of translating this word in Titus 1.6, Believing children does not do the passage nor the context of justice. I hear a lot of people say, well, as long as a man has baptized children, he can be an elder. That's not what the context of this passage says. Not simply baptized, but faithful and trustworthy, not accused of wild behavior and insubordination. So as we think about men who have children that they're raising, Not simply that they were baptized last week and all of a sudden they're qualified, but are their children faithful and trustworthy in addition to being those who believe in God and not open to the accusation of debauchery, which is a real long fancy word for wild behavior or insubordination. Keep in mind in the world that Paul and Timothy lived in, you lived under the authority of your father even after you got married. The patriarch of the family was still in authority over you until he died and you, or the firstborn son, became head of that family. Now that's not the culture that we live in uh, today, but please keep in mind, trustworthy and faithful children who cannot be accused of being rebellious or wild as we think about the men that we're considering and we look at their children in that way. There are some must-haves, God give us some must here. An elder must be hospitable and Boy, Lance did a great job Wednesday night, I don't know that all of you are here, on explaining the meaning of the word in Greek, hospitable means to love strangers. And he made an analogy today, we think it's a, a place where you can get food when you go to a funeral home or you go to a, a golf match or something, a hospitality room and it doesn't do the word right to not say he must be a lover of strangers. He must be sober minded, self-controlled. He must be respected by those among the flock and he also must be reputable with those outside. He must be able to teach. I hear people say all the time, well, elder has to teach a Bible class. Now, there's no concept of Bible class in the ancient world whatsoever. So we can't make that leap, but be able to teach. And we think about in the ancient world, in the early church, what had to be available? Men that knew sound doctrine and could talk to others about it. How can I refute false teachers in the church if I'm not able to instruct in proper doctrine, if I don't know it, if I'm not able to do that. And I think more of that today on a one-on-one level or a small group type study when we're looking at people, I need to be able to teach somebody about God's word because there's false teachers coming that will be against that. We did see that they must be a manager of their home because they're going to, have to be a manager of people. I told my class in Lebanon the other night that you don't get much more of a mixed crew of people than you do in a congregation of Lord's Church. There are people here from all walks of life, all sorts of social, economic, and even religious backgrounds. You think about how much difficult it is for a large family to always get along or always have the same mind. It's a difficult thing for, to keep 1,100 people or 1,200 people of the same mind when they don't come from the same mind and we're not even kin to each other. But we are called God's family and we have to treat each other as such. But even within families, sometimes there is difficulty. So if someone can't manage their own household, how in the world can they manage people they're not kin to and are not kin to each other in a great many ways? One of the first qualifications or the first we see is they must desire the position. I encourage you to think about desiring that position. If you are nominated or approached about being an elder, do you want to do it? Because if the want is not there, you better not get involved in it because it is a serious dedication of your time and of your spiritual strength. They must be holy or set apart. They must be upright and gentle, loving what is good, and be knowledgeable about God's word. Somebody that is a novice in the scriptures and not a student of the Bible has no business being an elder in the Lord's church. What about the There There's some spiritual traits that they cannot be, and some of them are very obvious uh, in the way that they are. I do have a slide on the knots, there it is. They cannot be a drunkard. Obviously, you can't be sober-minded and have your mind affected by alcohol. They cannot be violent, that is contrary to being gentle. And they cannot be quarrelsome, people who look for an argument all the time. We're gonna have 14 men be elders at the conclusion of this process. How in the world can you be quarrelsome and agree with 13 other men about matters as serious as there are in the church? And how in the world can you be a shepherd to the sheep if you're fighting with the sheep? There's no place for that. They cannot be greedy and in love with money. We know from Paul's letter to Timothy that the love of money is the root of all evil. They cannot be arrogant. I'm going to come back to neophyte. They can't be puffed up with pride. I have seen in a lot of discussions in our eldership that... Sometimes people have to say, well, here's my viewpoint and here's what I see things, but I want to hear what the other elders have to say. And great wisdom spouts out around the table and eventually something is come to an agreement on that everyone can agree on. And I love the fact that our elders come out with a unified front in whatever decision that is made. but there's no place for pride in that. You are taking the place of a foot washing servant when you do this, there cannot be any room for arrogance. And we see, I don't like the word recent convert because recent is such an ambiguous word. What does recent mean? I can say somebody's recently married. What does that mean they were married yesterday or were they married two weeks ago or were they married six months ago or a year ago? You know, my daughter was arguing with me the other night, well, what does a few mean? Because we've got a couple down. Somebody was saying, I need a couple of uh, pieces of pie. Well, that's two. She goes, well, dad, what's few mean? I said, well, it's like three to five. Well, she didn't accept that answer. See, well, I, don't even, I need something exactly quantified, you know, to the fifth decimal place. What does a few mean in doing that? So I don't like the word recent convert, but we think about the word in Greek, neophyte means newly planted. Just like if I took a tree out in the yard and I dug a hole and I put it in there and I buried it back, that would be newly planted. And we have to know that it's not a requirement in the ancient world for the elders to have been members of the church for 20 and 30 years because in Acts chapter 14, on the very first missionary journey to Asia, there were elders appointed in every church by Paul and Barnabas. And on the second and third missionary journeys, there were already elders in Ephesus when Paul came back through. And we'll read that passage from Acts chapter 20. So we have to understand what does newly planted mean? We see that that's said to Timothy and it's not said to Titus. Well, Titus was dealing with very new congregations on the island of Crete. He couldn't go in there and say, well, there's people who've been Christians for 15, 20 years here. They didn't exist. And I hear a lot of people say, well, that means they were faithful Jews and they became Christians and therefore they were able to be mature. The Bible doesn't say that. So when we make that up, we're manufacturing something that doesn't exist in the Bible. It may very well be that that's not true, but newly planted, We don't have to get in too much dogma about that. Somebody that became a Christian a year or two ago is not in a position to be number one, able to teach and have the wisdom to be able to be a leader in the Lord's church when he's gonna be faced with the things that elders face. Well, you can use common sense and think about what does that mean? When does newly planted go away? You'll have to decide that in your own mind. I'm not giving an exact number, just like I couldn't give Presley an exact number about what a few is. We have to think about the concept of the idea of newly planted, and you make your decision from there. Let me boil things down for you a little bit. It's really easier than you think. As I began to study for this, I was like, how can I boil all this down to what kind of man needs to be an elder? And we see on the next slide kind of what I thought through as a statement of this is a candidate for elder in the Lord's church has to meet the physical characteristics, which they have to be a man, I know in today's world, maybe sometimes people are changing themselves into men, but they have to be naturally a man, a man like like Paul would have known. Paul didn't understand that kind of concept, but they have to be a man and we can't always control that. We can't always control whether or not someone is married uh, and has children, but they have to meet those physical characteristics. But the important thing for every man in this room who says you're a baptized Christian, you have to be the same type of man spiritually that any elder has to be. There is no requirement given of an elder spiritually that I can't say every man in this room ought to be and every woman in this room ought to be. A man must faithfully conduct himself in accordance with God's law. What on those must and nots that I give you that you are excused from because you're not an elder? There's nothing. Oh, wait a minute, I can be a drunkard and I can be violent and I can be quarrelsome and I can be greedy or I don't have to be apt to teach. Well, the Bible tells us elsewhere that everyone should be able to teach and ready to instruct others in doing that. It's your problem if you don't know the Bible. That's your problem, because it's ready and ready right there for you in English. There's nothing spiritually required of an elder that all of us should not aspire to be. So we think about what is an eldership here at Mount Juliet, and that's what we're gonna finish up with. I think sometimes they become a complaint department, and some of that reason is because of the people coming to them are spiritually immature or they're spiritual cowards. I have heard many things come to this eldership about Philip singing or about somebody offended me or so and so is doing this or I don't like what David said last Sunday or I don't like what Tim's teaching in class and the Bible does not instruct you to go to your eldership about that. If you have got a problem with your brother and sister in Christ, you're told to go to them first. And if that can't be resolved, then you bring the church in. So sometimes the complaints become they're legitimate. Now, if you've got a complaint about the building or something that needs to be handled in a corporate manner, that's a different story. But if you've got a problem with Tim Martin's teaching, then I want you to come to me like the Bible says. And I'm not as bullheaded as I used to be. I'll probably actually correct myself. But if I find out you go, the elders about it, you and I will have a discussion because that's not what the Bible tells you to do. And sometimes that happens, as I said, because of spiritual immaturity and elders have to deal with that but a lot of times it comes out of spiritual cowardice. They were not willing to do what the Bible says. Over in Acts chapter 20, I love what was given. The job description that we see that Paul talks to these Ephesian elders who have come down from Miletus to see Paul on his return back to Antioch and Jerusalem and how they come down and they they cry over him, they love him. Paul has spent at least two years in Ephesus preaching the gospel and getting to know these and Paul is going to warn them about the job description. Here's what you need to worry about, not about somebody took my seat on the back row or I don't like the temperature in the auditorium. Let me tell you what the job description is gonna be in Acts chapter 20, that's on page 988 in your pew Bible. I'm gonna begin in 28 as he is concluding his discussion with these men who Paul has been talking to and love Paul, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So if you wanna question whether or not these guys should be elders, you argue with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. That gives you a great deal of gravity about what men are responsible for. They're responsible for what Jesus paid for in his blood on the cross. I know that after my departure, in verse 29, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. What is his objective here? What's the first job description that we see? What's the same reason that Titus was told to appoint elders in Crete? It's the same problem that Timothy was dealing with in Ephesus in both letters, first and second Timothy, that Paul said, the men that lead the church need to have these characteristics. What does he say in his parting words, which Paul likely knows is the last time he may see these Ephesian elders, and he says to them, pay careful attention because from inside your own ranks will come trouble in those who deceive. Let's finish up in First Peter chapter five. I don't think I wrote down the pew Bible. Page 1078, 1 Peter five, back to what was capably read this morning for us. We don't know exactly who Peter was writing to. There's a whole lot of opinion about that, but the fact of the matter is we don't know exactly what group he was writing to. But Peter comes to them and he talks to them as a fellow Elder, Peter is not the young impetuous man that was Jesus' disciple anymore. He has a great deal of responsibility on him. His life experience has been uh, greatly amplified since that time. And he says in chapter five, verses one through four, about exhorting the elders among you as a fellow elder, I know what it's like. And I also witnessed that suffering of Jesus Christ Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not because you're forced into doing it, but willingly, desire the position. Not for shameful gain, because we know in the ancient world, some people use their leadership or position in the church to gain money. Not domineering over those. You're not supposed to be a slave driver, but being examples to the flock. And why? Because the boss is coming back one day the chief shepherd appears at his second coming, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. What does this passage have to do with Mount Juliet's elders? As we think about selecting men, we've been given a list of qualifications that we know they have to be faithful Christian men, they have to be faithful husbands, and they have to govern their children well, and their children cannot be rambunctious and, and of wild behavior and insubordinate, but about being godly men who do what God says you ought to be doing in the scriptures. And here at Mount Juliet, they're supposed to be our examples, sitting in our class with us, showing us what they're supposed to do. Many of you know, and some of you do not, that the elders and the ministers, uh, mostly the elders go out every Tuesday night and they visit someone in this congregation that's been talked about and prayed over that is hurting or has responded to the gospel call, or has responded requesting prayers, or is going through a difficult physical time. More elders means we can do more of that. The example of going and checking on the sick, checking on the spiritually hurting as well as the physically hurting, that's what's an example to this flock. All the corporate decisions really don't matter long term. What matters is that God's word is adhered to and it's watched over. We see that's the primary job description. When Tim Martin teaches false teachings in the Bible class, I expect the elders to rebuke me for that. And if I won't change, then I don't expect to teach here anymore in doing that. The danger comes from within these four walls constantly in the scripture. It's not about people of another religious faith that are gonna bring down the church. It's people from within the walls that they have to shepherd and oversee. The concept of shepherding means I'm going to go pasture you. I'm going to take you to food and I'm going to take you to water and I'm going to keep dangerous animals that kill you away. And the Bible describes those dangerous animals as false teachers. I wonder if in Peter's mind, he went back to the conversation he had on the seashore with Jesus. As we close in John chapter 21, many of you remember this story. Jesus has come back from the grave He has been out with his disciples, they have been fishing and they brought food back to the shore and he's had breakfast with them. What an awesome thing that would be to sit with the resurrected Lord and have breakfast. And he talks to Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, John 21, 8, 15, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved and he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I wonder if, as Peter was writing down these words, 1 Peter 5 that came from the Holy Spirit, Did he see back in his mind, Jesus sitting there with him on the seashore, feeding him and saying to him repeatedly, do you love me? Then tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Take them out to pasture and make sure they get food and they get water and you keep the wolves away. And now sitting back in the time of 1 Peter, as he wrote 1 Peter, he's in that job description. He's in that job description that as a fellow elder, he needs to be doing As you consider who you may nominate for a position of eldership in this church, keep in mind certainly what we see in 1 Timothy and Titus, but keep in mind that they need to be men who can be examples to us as part of this flock, that they can be leaders in your class, that they can show compassion and care and love and keep the fierce wolves who will try to get in this congregation. You think Satan doesn't want to destroy the congregation of Mount Juliet? You're a blind fool. He would love to take this congregation right out, take our legs right out from underneath us because this congregation is doing effective things for the kingdom of Christ. He'll be on the attack. So be thinking about that as you think about this grave decision, this wonderful decision that'll be made. You may be here this morning and the idea of living faithfully as described here in the spiritual characteristics of a godly person may not be part of your life. Maybe it's not part of your life because you haven't ever become a child of God. And you may have questions about that. We don't want you to leave here this morning with those questions in your mind. Perhaps you've become a Christian and you haven't been exhibiting those spiritual traits. Something could, somebody couldn't say to you about you that you're blameless and that you're not quarrelsome and that you're gentle and you're loving and you're hospitable and you're caring. Then something's wrong with your Christian walk. You're no longer walking in the light. And perhaps you need prayer and forgiveness of sins. Don't leave here this morning without taking care of one of those things. Please come as we stand and as we sing.